we'll give the Ricky a chance to move things around and move things over. Mark chapter number 9. <clears throat> We've been discussing the issue of eternal judgment over the last uh, several weeks. This is actually the fifth lesson, so the last month, and today will be the fifth lesson, and we'll probably have one more, maybe two more, with some things that are going to come up here in the study. And I did this because we had had a conversation about this in the men's fellowship and so forth, and we were looking at it and some things coming out of our study in Mark uh, in this passage. It got me to thinking about I had really never discussed the issue of eternal judgment, the issue of hell, the issue of the lake of fire, the second death. And it's something that as believers we tend to not really concentrate on, but however, it is a component of Paul's gospel. And it's something that Paul doesn't do a lot of talking about it. And, people, and that's usually the, the complaint about hell is, well, Paul doesn't say anything about it. Well, he does talk about the wrath of God. Okay? And outside of the first five chapters of the book of Romans, the rest of his epistles are written to believers. So why would he talk about eternal judgment to believers? You're going to where? Absent from the body, present with the Lord. So when we discuss the issue of hell, we have to look at it dispensationally. So we have looked at the issue in time past, okay? And the issue of hell in time past, we see the one passage, Luke, uh, where's the rich man Lazarus? Luke 16. The screen went blank. And that's never, you know how you get that blue, blue screen of death and the thing that's going in a circle? That's what my mind did. It's still doing it, so... Hang on with me, okay? If I say something you don't agree, thanks. Appreciate that, brother. Okay? In time past, hell was a broad term. It was a term that was used to explain the, the departure of the dead. Where did the dead go into time past? They go into hell. In hell, the saved guy, Lazarus, David, Jonah, they would go to Abraham's bosom. Okay, paradise, this is not going to work, there we go, all right, paradise side, the comfort side, as they were waiting for their redemptive process, the redemptive program to be completed, and Calvary completes that for the nation of Israel. The lost also go to hell, but they go to the torment side. They go to the side of the fire. And we saw that. We looked at it. Somewhere from Calvary to Acts chapter 14, paradise, according to 2 Corinthians 12 and Hebrews 12, is moved to the third heaven. Okay? How, why, what, the particulars, you can talk to God when you see him in the future. Okay? All right? I'm not even going to... I knew a guy who liked to adventure into some of it, and I'm like, dude, you are on, you're not even on thin ice. You're sinking because <laughs> you just don't know. So, but now, today, in the age of grace, hell is just the lost, the Christ deniers, the sinners, the believers... Absent from the body, present with the Lord. What a wonderful, joyful movement. Paul says there in 2 Corinthians 12, whether into the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. A movement of no interruption of, oh my goodness, I'm in something I don't know. You ever do that? You ever wake up in the middle of the night and you're, you're in a hotel and you don't, you just kind of for a moment go, <gasps> you don't do that? I do it. Maybe it's because I'm of the older group now. I don't know. I know, it's a joke, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, you catch yourself. Anyway, keep moving. Today in the age of grace, hell is, Isaiah says that hell, this component, it expanded. It enlarged itself. Now this morning, we want to look at the issue of to come. Because in Mark 9, so Luke 16 and Mark 9 are the two big passages on the issue of eternal judgment, hell. 
where God peels back the crust of the earth and says, here's what it looks like. But in Mark 9, he's going to tell us what it looks like in the future. During the millennial kingdom reign, a movement of what's going to happen with the coming kingdom. Mark 9, 43. And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. By the way, hell, we looked at all the verses in Psalms, center of the earth, beneath uh, the, the Lord there in Matthew says, as, a, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the well's belly, we looked and looked at Jonah, that's hell. He says, in hell I cried, he's in the well's belly. The, so will the Savior, the Son of Man, be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So hell is spiritual component in the earth. Why is it in the earth, not in Mars or moon or out there in the planetary? Because the earth belongs to man. That's where it belongs. It also belongs, the earth belongs to the nation of Israel ultimately, and this is their issue. You and I, where do we belong? Heavenly places. That's where we're going, okay? So we looked at all of that. Mark 9, 43. And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter halt into life, having, than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, and their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. So you get an idea here that there's some things going on that one's good and one's bad, okay? It's okay. It would be better to go in maim and to, notice he says life, then he says life, and then he says kingdom. See that? So the kingdom of God for Israel, their hope, sits in eternal life in the kingdom, not as a present possession. You and I, eternal life is a present possession for us. They were always looking forward to that coming kingdom. Abraham in Hebrews 11, not having received the promise, but yet what did he do? He saw afar off that, that, the whole of the issue. He's trusting the future. So when you come into Israel's program and Israel's salvation package, you cannot come into it like you and I come to the issues of justification because they're completely different. You and I are complete the moment we trust we're complete. We're blessed with all. We have everything. We are completely, sufficiently equipped to handle the details of life in Christ. The only thing we are going to miss but yet one day get is that new body. I like our deal a little better. Okay? Front-loaded is way better than back-loaded, you know? It's still loaded. It's just one's get. So when you think about what we're going to be studying here, you kind of have to move into thinking about Israel. Their life, life, hellfire, and the kingdom of God. Two great issues the Lord's bringing up here in Mark as he's going to educate the little flock, the 12, the apostles, as they're going to move now on to Calvary and what's coming in his earthly ministry. And as he does this, he begins to talk about hell so much more than any other Bible character, person, personality in Scripture, the Lord talks about hell more because it is, becomes a focal point of the millennial kingdom that, that's, gonna, that's coming. It's an integral component to it. It's, a, it's an integral piece to it because in the millennial kingdom, Hell is going to be a present reality for everyone on the earth. They will be able to go over and to look down into hell. They'll be able to view it. They'll see the attitude of God against sin. They'll see the wrath of God on sin. And again, folks, he hates sin. You know, he, he, he gets angry with the wicked. <laughs> He hates it. It offends his integrity. The integrity of God, we call it the holiness of God, is made up of two attributes. His righteousness, which, by the way, is perfect. 
It's the standard of perfect righteousness. But then his justice. And what his justice does is his justice says, there's a violation of the standard, the perfect righteousness, and I'm going to go and and nail it. I'm going to go get it. goes into activity. So his judgment is the execution of his justice against sin. This is why Calvary had to happen. Because the only way to satisfy the justice of God is to have perfect righteousness. And the only way to have perfect righteousness is have the righteousness of Christ. Well, how do I get that? By trusting the finished work of Calvary. The shed blood. That's why it's critical. That's why he's, that's why he's, he's done told them here in Mark, I'm going, and they don't believe him. <laughs> Mark 8, 31, I'm going, and they they get mad at him, you know. Why? Because they're not understanding the necessity of it. And he's going to get there. This is why Calvary was needed. Verse 43, look here. By the way, in the Old Testament, Genesis 9, capital punishment is instituted. Capital punishment is was instituted by God in response to the wickedness of man. When you study down through the issue of human government, nationalism. But the issue there wasn't to the comfort of the criminal. Rather, it was to show all the attitude toward the crime. Here's God's attitude toward that crime. Here's the nation of Israel's attitude toward that crime. So when he talks about judgment here, it isn't just to let somebody off or not, or, you know, Ecclesiastes 8 and all that stuff. It's rather, here's the attitude. And what we're reading in Mark 9, look at 943. If thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. In the ages to come, hell is going to be opened up. It's going to be viewable. It's going to be present on the earth. It's going to be something that they're going to go over and be able to look down into it. And how you know that, I'm jumping ahead, but we're going to get there, is that issue of where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Because that is a quote out of Isaiah 66 where he's talking about in the new heaven and in the new earth. Okay? Now we're going to get over there, but just I'm kind of running about it. Now look at Matthew 5. Look with me at Matthew 5. Because what usually happens with the people who don't want you to talk about hell is they say, we ought to be doing the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes and just loving our neighbor and doing all this stuff. And yet in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, watch what the Lord says. Now the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, gives you a picture, gives Israel a picture, you and I a picture, of the lifestyle of the kingdom saint. Here's what the kingdom saint is going to live and look like in that spontaneous living for the other. But in 529, notice what he says. If thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast, where? Into hell, the end of verse 30. The whole body be cast into hell. Do you see there's an issue in the kingdom where hell is right there that they can literally walk over and just drop the guy in, body and all. Woo. Why? Because in the millennial kingdom, the judge, the just, is sitting on the throne. To violate the law means an instant judgment. Doesn't mean an appeal eight times and let's go to the Supreme Court and let's do this. No, it's instant judgment. That thing in Ecclesiastes 8 about a judgment, uh, a sentence withheld and all that stuff. Now, it won't be any withholding of the sentence. It's an instant judgment. Why? Because the judge is there and the righteous judge is there. 
Come on over to Matthew. Well, let's just go. Isaiah 66. Let's see this. You see, folks, hell is going to be very present. If the speed limit said 55, 56 means you violated it, where were you going? Right over. So what would you drive? 45. <laughs> Never know. The tires might be off. Speedometer is off. You know, I always do those radar checks as a check of my speedometer until I get the thing in the mail that says, hey, you were a little too quick. <laughs> it's a joke. Okay. <laughs> you know, you, anyway. You know, your speed, we were going through the valley, coming down the hill, and they've got these your speed check things are, and mine said, too fast, way too fast, slow down. <laughs> and Linda's like, would you read the signs? I don't believe in signs, honey, let's go, you know. <laughs> that didn't go very well. All right, you got Isaiah 66, right? The things in Mark 9, we have to be very careful with noticing here, the quote. Isaiah 66, 22. For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. This is a prophetic picture out to the millennial kingdom and subsequently into the new heaven and the new earth. Okay? And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another shall all flesh come to worship before me, saith the Lord. So what do we understand right there? There's going to be worship out there in the new, isn't there? There's going to be a worship of all flesh. You know what that means? That means that in his second coming, he does not wipe out humanity. Sorry, LaHaye and all that stuff, all those end-timer guys got it wrong. He's going to go to war with the enemies of, the, of his Christ, but that's on that field of battle of Armageddon and, and all in his second coming. He isn't going to come over here to the United States and wipe it off the map. He just isn't. He's going to wipe off the armies. And that's the representation there. How do you know that? Well, what does verse 23 say? All flesh. By the way, in Zechariah, it's all those that remain. It's tremendous. And they, verse 24, and they. Who's the they? All the flesh that have come to worship. Right? They come into that Feast of Tabernacles. They come to worship. They're down here. All of the nations of the earth have come to Jerusalem and to worship the Lord Jesus Christ as the King. So they've been worshiping. And they shall go forth. So now we're leaving. And look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me. For their worm shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched, and they shall be an abhorring unto all flesh. The Lord quotes that in Mark 9 because he's talking about the millennial kingdom, the future, in Mark 9. What's the prophet say? They're going to be up in Jerusalem worshiping. It's going to get done. They're going to come out of Jerusalem. They're going to go down to the south end of the Dead Sea, and there's going to be an open pit, an open memorial. And in Isaiah 13, we'll get over there, I promise you, in about an hour. And you're going to find out that that opening is almost, it's literally going all the way to the city of Babylon. There's an opening. And you know what it is? It's a big monument, an open display of God's attitude towards sin. And they're literally going to be able to go over and look at the carcasses of men. They're going to look down into that pit and they're going to see God's attitude towards wickedness, sin. And it's going to be a memorial to man that, you know what, I don't want that. And it's as their worm dies, their worm. You remember the Lord, Psalms 22? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I am but a worm. I'm not even a man. That degenerative nature of sin on the souls of men. It's like a maggot pile. You've seen that. I don't need to describe that for you, do I? That's the worm. It's a maggot. It's ugly. It's disgusting. It's gross. And there's an open pit there. And they get into it. And he puts it on display. So hell is going to be open. It's going to be visible. It's going to be 
available from the earth. Now come over to Revelation 14. Because then you get the, the Bible questioners, the theologians, and they read a verse like Revelation 14, and they go, wait a minute, wait just a minute. And you know what happens? They fail to study the subject dispensationally. They fail to look at this in right, rightly dividing the word. And they've got an agenda to push and to promote, so they use verses. Revelation 14, 9. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his hand, I'm sorry, in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Let me ask, and keep reading, and the smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever, and they have no rest day and night. Who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Let me ask you something. What's that believer in the 70th week of Daniel not going to do? Take on the mark. Because what's the consequence of taking on the mark? Pick them up and drop them in. That's the consequence. Immediate justice. See that? Well, but wait a minute, a loving God would not send sinners to hell. Really? That verse says he does. Because the love of God has nothing to do with this. What did the love of God do? He provided an answer to the sin question. Calvary. I told you the love of God, never you never can outrun it. It'll catch you. But it will never just let you off. It'll, it holds you accountable. But notice, and by the way, it's for how long? Forever, no end, forever. They have no rest day and night. Brimstone. You ever smell rotten eggs? There's brimstone, man. It's going to be nasty. It's not a sweet odor. It's brimstone. And they're going to be able to go over, and when Christ returns, he's going to come back in a flaming fire, and that flaming fire, come over to 2 Thessalonians 1. That flaming fire, he literally is going to light an eternal flame on the earth. And he's going to rearrange the topography. And he's going to burn down and open that shaft up into the lowest parts of hell. We'll see it in Deuteronomy in just a minute. And when he does in that kingdom, that millennial kingdom, that thousand-year reign over there, when they violate the law, 70th week of Dan, they take them and they just drop them in. Guilty. Yeah, but wait a minute. No. You had your opportunity. Remember what that rich man said? Abraham, send somebody raised from the dead. Don't believe them. And you know what Abraham said? No, they won't. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them read that and believe that. You got the word of God. As he sits, they violated the word of God. 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 7, verse 5, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye also suffer, seeing it is a righteous thing for God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in all his saints, in his saints, and to be admired in all of them that believe. Because of our testimony among you was believed in that day. Look at that. Boy, when he... Returns, what's flowing? <laughs> that big old flaming fire going out there. And he's lighting, if you will, an eternal fire on the earth that's going to burn down into hell. Open up that shaft on the earth so that all can see. But what I want you to catch, notice in verse 9, everlasting destruction. By the way, the fire in Mark 9, in case we don't get down there, verse 49, 
It's a fire that salts. It's a salt fire. You know what fire and salt do? They can preserve. The idea of this flame and this fire is that of the burning bush with Moses. It was on fire, but it wasn't consumed. So the destruction here isn't they're going to just go to nothing. It's a destruction of what? Of that soul degenerating down into that worm. But notice in that verse he says, from the presence of the Lord. But wait a minute. Revelation 14 said he's, they're going to be in the presence of the angels and of the Lamb. Here it says, from the presence. So what is it? Well, can I tell you, dispensationally, Bible studying it out, it is both. And we'll see that hopefully this morning as we move along. So how does all this happen? Well, glad you asked. Come back to Psalms 50. How does all this work out for the ages to come? Psalms 50, the verses we're going to now run are about the second coming, about the future. Here we are. We're raptured out. Okay, let's get it down here. The church, the body of Christ, we're taken home. We meet the Lord in the air. We're presented to the Father. The 70th week of Daniel starts. The, 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 we call it the tribulation. It's going to end with the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're looked at. Then the establishment of the kingdom happens. And this thousand years, by the way, the only way you know it's a thousand years is because of John in the book of the Revelation, the millennial. In this time, the shaft is going to be opened up down into hell. And you're going to get a viewpoint here into it. Where this is going to happen, actually, that shouldn't be here, it should be here, okay, is in his second coming. But out here, they're going to come up and worship, come out and look down, okay, hell. This is not the lake of fire. The lake of fire sits out over here outside of the universe, and we'll get to that when we talk about the second death and stuff, okay? You with me? Okay, Psalms 50, verse 1. Psalms 50, a psalm of Asaph, is a second coming psalm. The mighty God, even the Lord, hath spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun into the going down thereof. Out of Zion, the perfection of the beauty, God hath shined. Our God shall come and shall not keep silence. A fire shall devour before him, and it will, shall be very tempestuous around about him. He shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth, and that he may judge his people. What's coming? Judgment's coming. But notice in verse 3, out of uh, our God a, a, shall come and shall not keep silent. A fire shall devour before him. In the Mediterranean Sea out here, and this is not the scale, this is the Mediterranean Sea. Here's the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River, and the Dead Sea. Okay, you with me? All right, Jerusalem sits right here. He's going to come out of the north, and he's going to come down. He's going to come around. He's going to cross over the River Jordan right where you're supposed to. He's going to go in here. He's going to liberate Jerusalem, and then he's going to go out here onto the battlefield for the Battle of Armageddon, and he's going to deal with the Antichrist, okay? Now, that's real quick, about five hours of study and running verses, but you've got to get this into your mind. As he's coming down, what's coming out before him? A brimstone, a fire, and it's devouring before him. Come over to chapter 97 of Psalms. Psalms 97. By the way, in Psalms 50, oh, you've got to see this, because people use this stuff. Psalms 50 again, just real quick. Verse 2, out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God has shined. People will use that to say that is, a, that is you and I going into the heavens, that's our rapture. But that's really a mid-trib viewing. In the book of the Revelation, in the middle of the week, in the middle of the tribulation, they look up and they see the Lord sitting. He, or, you know, he's ready to come back and they run to the hills and they run to the cliffs and the cliffs of the rock and all of that to be hid. Don't let people say that that's you and I. That isn't us. Okay? We're nowhere here. This is all Israel. It's all second coming. Psalms 97, verse 1. The Lord reigneth. Let the earth rejoice. Let the multitude of the isles be glad thereof. Clouds and darkness are round about him. The righteousness and judgment are the habitation of his 
throne. We're talking about the future. Verse 3, a fire goeth before him and burneth up his enemies round about him. Round about. His lightnings enlightened the world. The earth saw and trembled. Do you remember what Rahab said to those two spies? We heard what you guys have done with Pharaoh in Egypt. We heard what you guys did to the Amorites. We heard, and we fear God because we, we believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Whew. What's happening? The noise, Fox and CNN and the ABC guys can't keep up with what's happening here. They can't explain it. All they know is somebody's coming back really upset. They don't get it. Verse 5, verse five the hills. Watch this. What, look at this fire that goeth before him. The hills melted like wax at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. The heavens declare his righteousness, and all the people see the glory. What is the hills doing? They're, they're waxing away. But, but with what? With who? How is it happening? With the presence of the Lord. When he returns, the fire is, is out before him, and it is changing the topography. The geography is changing. The hills melt away. We were up, come over to Isaiah, Isaiah 30. You get up there, we went up and visited with the dents. And he's got lava rock all over his property. He's like, take us all you want. <laughs> so I did. I loaded the truck up. You know, what? you know what the lava is from? Volcano. What happens when the volcano spits up? Where's that lava flow? Everywhere. It goes where it's naturally going to run. And you know what it does? It consumes everything, doesn't it? There's nothing left but a black mess. That's the idea here. Look at Isaiah 30. Isaiah 30. Again, second coming passage. Verse 27. Behold, the name of the Lord cometh from far, burning with his anger, and the burden thereof is heavy. His lips are full of indignation and his tongue as a devouring fire. Man, what a description of his return. His breath as an overflowing stream shall reach to the midst of the neck to sift the nations with the sieve of vanity. And there shall be a bridle in the jaws of the people causing them to err. You think about 2 Thessalonians 2 where God sends a strong delusion and they believe a lie. Why? Because they don't believe in the truth of God. They've rejected it. They've rejected God's word. At every turn, they've had the opportunity, and they've rejected it. Rejected it. That's why, by the way, Isaiah 30, verse 1 starts, Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord. Who's the rebellious children? There's the nation. What did they do? They rejected it. And he's getting them. He's sifting them. Verse 29, ye shall have a song in the night when a holy solemnity is kept, when the gladness of heart as when one goeth with a pipe to come into the mountain of the Lord to the mighty one of Israel, and the Lord shall cause his glorious voice to be heard and shall show the lightning down of his arm and the indignation of his anger with the flame of devouring fire with scattering and tempest and hailstones. Whew. That's some pretty serious stuff right there. That's some intense there. Verse 31, For, the, for through the voice of the Lord shall the Assyrian be beaten down, with, which smote with the rod. And in every place where the grounded staff shall pass, which the Lord shall lay upon him, it shall be with tarp, uh, tabrets and harps, and in a battle of shaking will he fight with it. Have you ever wondered why they used to go to battle with music being played? You know, you see, you go, man, what are they doing? They're taking it right out of Isaiah. Boom, man, you know, got to go. And... Now watch verse 33. For Tophet is ordained of old. Now that's what we're talking about in Mark 9. By the way, in Mark 9, the Greek there is Gehenna. It's not Hades. It's not Tartarus. It's Gehenna. And Gehenna is usually described as the garbage dump. But it's not the garbage dump where your black barrel goes and your house trash goes. It's actually the garbage dump of the Baal worshippers that Solomon, King Solomon, had established. And he calls it Tophet. 
and Tophet loses its name. That's why it's Tophet of old. Yea, for the king it is prepared. He hath made it deep and large. The pile thereof is a fire and much wood, and the breath of the Lord like a stream of brimstone doth kindle it. King Solomon, you go back into Kings and you read and you look at this issue about Tophet of old and, it's, and it loses its name and it, it's made into the Valley of Decision. We're talking about where the Battle of Armageddon takes place. And what King Solomon had done is he had gone out and he had caused a, an area for Baal worship where they would bring their children and offer their children as sacrifices to the god Moloch and they would send their children through the fire. Man, could you imagine so dastardly? But you know what? We have it today, by the way. It's called abortion. It's the same idea. It's the same thing. And what happened is, is when King Josiah showed up a few years later, he destroyed it all. And he laid it out there and he burnt it all. And he took all of the Baal worship, all of the mess, and he put it out there and he burned it. And God says, that's where that opening is going to be down into this mess and it's going to get opened by the breath of my mouth he's going to melt it away Isaiah 34 Isaiah 34 a description here again the day of the Lord come near ye nations to hear and hearken ye people let the earth hear and all that is therein the world and all things that come forth of it. Could you imagine being Isaiah going to write this? <laughs> going, wow, when's this going to happen? Whew. It's future. Hadn't happened yet. And we can thank the grace of God for that. For it, for the indignation of the Lord is upon all nations. Now watch. And his fury upon all their armies. He hath utterly destroyed them. He hath delivered them to the slaughter. Their slain also shall be cast out, and their stink shall come up out of their carcasses, and the mountains shall be melted with their blood. He's going to come up and destroy all the armies that come up against Israel. Verse 3, verse 4, And all the hosts of heaven shall be dissolved. And the heavens shall be rolled together as a scroll, and their hosts shall fall down as the leaf falleth off the vine, and as a falling fig from the fig tree. Think about Revelation 12 and the war in heaven. What's he doing up there? He's rolling it up and he's shaking them out. And guess who gets installed right behind that? We do, the church. That's Revelation 12. Those that dwell in heaven rejoice. There we are. A part of his second coming is going to be this war in heaven up here. And that cleaning out, and as he's coming, verse 5, For my sword shall be bathed in heaven. Behold, it shall come down upon Idumea and upon the people of my curse to judgment. The sword of the Lord is filled with blood. It is made fat with the fatness and with the blood of lambs and goats, with the fat of the kidneys of rams. For the Lord hath a sacrifice in Bozrah and a great slaughter in the land of Idumea. You know what's happening? He's coming down here. And there's fire going out here, and he's scorching the earth. And he literally opens up this shaft, if you will, at the south end of the Dead Sea is where this shaft is. Where that memorial, Isaiah 66, is going to be put on display. For man, all of mankind, all of the flesh of the world to come out and see and look down in it. The instant judgment, walk them over there and drop them in. There it is. No wonder they don't want you to talk about hell. This is not a good thing, folks. But it's something you need to understand. Now, keep reading, because it gets better. And the unicorns shall come down with them, and the bullocks with the bulls, and their land shall be soaked with blood, and their dust made fat with fatness. For it is the day of the Lord's vengeance and the year of recompense for the controversy of Zion. And the streams thereof shall be turned into pitch. Think about that. Get the picture there. Pitch. And the dust thereof into brimstone. And the land thereof shall become burning pitch. And it shall not be quenched night nor day. 
There we are. There's Revelation 14. In his coming, what is he doing? Isaiah 66, he's, uh, Revelation 14, he's opening up the shaft, and they're going to be tormented in his presence. And they're going to be tormented into the presence during that thousand-year reign of instant judgment, in the presence of the Lamb, and in the presence of the holy angels. It's going to go on forever. No end to it. No day, no night. It's, it's on and on and on and on and on. That's not a good thing. It's connected with his kingdom, though. Now come, ba- come back with me to Deuteronomy 32. Because you need to catch the connection here with the kingdom. Deuteronomy 32. Because what's going to happen here is Moses is going to tell Israel this is coming. As the song of Moses, the prophetic picture here, he's going to give this prophetic view of all of this. Thousands of years now because of the interruption. Before it's ever to be happened, thousands of years before Isaiah and, and the boys, we just read Isaiah, man, Jeremiah gets in, they all get right about it. Giving the details. Look at what he says, Deuteronomy 32, verse 20. And he said, I will hide my face from them. Why? Well, they, they forgot the rock, the big R. Verse 18, of the rock that begat thee, thou art unmindful, and hast forgotten God that formed thee. And when, verse 19, and when the Lord saw it, he abhorred them because of the provoking of his sons and of his daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end shall be. Woo, he's going to take Moses out to the end. And then he says, for they are a very forward generation, children in whom is no faith. Why do you think Peter in Acts 2 said, get out of that untoward generation? Here's where the wrath is going to fall. It's time for the wrath, guys. Get out of there. Get into the little flock. Get over here, Acts 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. Get where you're supposed to be. Why does Stephen see the Lord standing there in his glory, sees the armies of heaven ready to come back, sees the Lord stand there, and in, and in Acts 7 he says, Lord, don't hold this to their account. What does he know is coming? This stuff is coming. It's time for wrath to be poured out upon the people of Israel, to clean up, to melt, get out the dross. By the way, how do you get dross out of metal? You put it in the fire. Burn it. What's coming? <clears throat> Sorry. What's coming? Verse 22. For a fire is kindled in my anger and shall burn into the lowest hell and shall consume the earth with her increase and set on fire the foundations of the mountains. When Jesus Christ comes, he's going to set a part of the earth on fire. That's going to burn down into the lowest hell. You know, there are compartments in hell. Bottomless pit and the the Tartarus where they hold the angels in darkness and so forth. Those are all compartments. He's going to burn down into the lowest compartment. But what's he going to do? Verse 22. He's going to set on fire the what? The foundations of the earth. We were down in the canyon de Shea and we're looking... And the guide is telling us about the ruins that we were looking at. And he says, you see that straight dark line right there? That was the floor of the canyon. Now, the floor of the canyon is some 50 feet deeper now, okay, water, wind, and so forth. But he said that was the floor. So really, we think they climbed up really high, but in the time, they really didn't get up but maybe a 6-foot, 7-foot, 8-foot ladder. But there was a foundation. What's the What's the foundation of the mountains? How much further down does that mountain go? He's going to burn it all away. Complete topography change. Come over to Nahum, just so we get out. Nahum. You know where Nahum is? It's after Micah. (laughs) Jonah, Micah, Nahum. Nahum 1. The foundations, the lowest hell, completely changing the topography here south of the Dead Sea. 
Nahum 1. Verse 3, the Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. I love that. Boy, what a great thing. He ain't going to let them off. You think they're getting away with it. They're really not getting away with nothing. He's going to get them in his day. He rebuketh the sea, verse 4, and maketh it dry and dryeth up all the rivers. Bashan languished and Carmel and the flower of Lebanon languished. The mountains quake at him. And the hills melt, and the earth is burned at his presence. Yea, the world and all that dwell therein. Man, ain't got nothing like it. Now watch verse 6. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can abide in the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. You know the only people who can stand and abide the fierceness of his anger is that believing remnant, is the true Israel of God. That's the only people who can. But they're not there. They're, they're, in, they're hiding in the wilderness. <laughs> They've run for the hills because that's what they're told to do. Come on over to Joel. Go back to Joel. Joel chapter 2. I show you Nahum and Joel just so you know that there's other passages that describe this. Joel 2, verse 1. Blow ye the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is, it is nigh at hand. A day of darkness and of gloomliness, a day of clouds and of thick darkness. As the mountains spread upon mountains, a great people and a strong, there hath not been ever the like, neither shall be any more after it, even the years of many generations. A fire devoureth before them, and behold, and behind them a flame burneth the land. I'm sorry, behind them a flame burneth. Now watch, the land is as the Garden of Eden before them. And behold, behind them a desolate wilderness, yea, and nothing shall escape. Boy, what a description of the day of the Lord. Verse 4, the appearance of them is as the appearance of horses, and as horsemen so shall they run. Like the noise of chariots on the tops of mountains shall they leap. Like the noise of flame of, the, of a flame of fire that devoureth the stubble, and as a strong people set in battle array. You, you've heard fire burn before, haven't you? And the crackle and the pot. That's what he's describing. But he's up in the treetops. The Lord doesn't set foot on planet Earth until he sets it on the Mount of Olives there on the other side of Jordan River. He's up in the treetops, just scorching it. Verse 6, before their face... The people shall be much pained. All faces shall gather blackness. He devours them. The scrub. So Mark 9, come back to Isaiah 13. Mark 9. The Lord Jesus Christ talking to the apostles, instructing the little flock, preparing them for the 70th week of Daniel. He pulls back and he says, listen guys, it's better for you to go into this kingdom, into life, maimed, not whole, than it is to be cast down into hell because that's what's going to happen right there. That shaft will be open. And we'll be able to go over and you'll be able to look down into that memorial of God's anger and wrath against hell, against sin, a public monument. By the way, free admission. I'm not going to charge you. You go out and you look down in it, okay? That's one direction. Now, look at Isaiah 13. Isaiah 13 Verse 1, the burden of, of Babylon, which Isaiah the son of Amos did see. Anytime you read the burden of, it's not a good thing. Okay? The burden of Babylon, verse 19. And Babylon, the glory of the kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldees' excellency. 
shall be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh-oh. Now you know why Sodom and Gomorrah is so important to understand. Because what's he going to do in the future to Babylon, that territory? Verse 20. It shall never be inhabited. Uh-oh. Neither shall it be dwelt in from generation to generation. Neither shall the Arabian pitch tent there. Neither shall the shepherds make their folds there. What's going on in that land of Babylon? Nothing. But keep reading. But wild beasts of the desert shall lie there, and their houses shall be full of doleful creatures, and owls shall dwell there, and satyrs. You know what a satyr is? Half animal, half man shall dance there. And the wild beasts of the islands shall cry in their desolation, desolate houses, and dragons in their pleasant place, palaces, and her time is near to come, and her door, days shall not be prolonged. Sitting on the outside skirts of town, of this shaft, in Babylon, is a zoo of all of the demonic creatures, the doleful creatures, the owls. By the way, the birds, and when the Lord uh, uh, interprets the sowing of the seed, and he says the birds are the devils, the demons, They're, they belong to the, to the wicked. And you go back, and we didn't read this in Isaiah 30 and 34 and so forth, that's there. You know what happens? They're going to come out, they're going to look down at this memorial, and then they're going to go over and they can go to the zoo, and they can in, go into the houses I love that. The wild beasts of the desert shall lie there, and their houses shall be full of doleful. You know, you go, the house of the lion, there he is, boom. The house of the, there, and you know what happens? All of that satanic is put on display for man to see, to say, there's the judgment of God, there's the wrath of God on sin and wickedness and iniquity, and we're not going to have that ever again. That's tremendous. So there's a very public display in the future of God's attitude towards sin. Now, one more verse, Revelation 20. Revelation 20. Revelation 14 says, In the presence of, so we have the kingdom, the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb, thousand-year reign of the kingdom, Right? But then Thessalonians said, from the presence of. So for a thousand years, this introductory period to the everlasting kingdom, we have memorials to hell, God's attitude, to remind man your problem is sin. Because in, in Revelation 20, what do we learn in Revelation 20? Well, we learn, verse 2, that the devil and Satan are bound for a thousand years and cast into the bottomless pit. So in the thousand years, where Satan is down here in the bottomless pit. Why? Well, what did Eve say? The devil made me do it. Genesis 3, with me? So what is God removing from the equation? The excuse of, the devil made me do it. Rather, now in front of man... On the earth, now you and I are in heavenly places, we'll enjoy watching this happen, okay? We'll be rejoicing in the heavens. Actually, you'll need a little time to learn that new space suit you got on called that new body, because you'll be able to move quick, you know? The Jetsons, you know, that idea, you got to get on that, okay? On the earth, what does man have to learn? What they've always had to learn, they are sinners, if you violate the law, the word of God, instant judgment. If you watched your friend or two get cast in instant judgment, don't you think you'd pay attention and go, maybe I ought to go at least find out what the law is? You see, there's no excuse here of why I didn't know. No, you do know. You know why? Because Matthew 28, what's Israel doing in the earth during the thousand years? They're out teaching every, all the nations. They're out proclaiming, here's the word of the Lord. Here it is. And they're out teaching the 
not Mosaic law, but the Messianic law. Here's the law. Here's the rules. Here's the, the guy sitting in Jerusalem, the righteous judge. Here he is. Here's what we're doing. That's why Matthew 28 has nothing to do with you and I. It has everything to do with them during that period of time. What are they doing? They're out amongst all the nations preaching and teaching and baptizing and doing. I just did that. I hope that didn't go over your head. You've got to catch that because there's a reason for it there. Satan is bound, a thousand years. Then he's let loose. Well, I can't even write today. When he's let loose, verse 7, the thousand years are, are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations from which are in the four corners of the earth. Verse 9, they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. And fire came down from, he from God out of heaven and devoured them. Whew. What happened there? Well, you got Elijah and the Baal guys. <laughs> 30-second fire consumed. But those guys, the nations here, here, if I'm a Gentile, now think like a lost man would think for a minute. Here I am, Paul and I are hanging out. Paul broke the rules, he's cast in hell. What do you think I'm doing? I ain't breaking the rules. I'm just going to go sit over here in the corner because I don't believe the Jews. I don't believe that mess. It's all malarkey. But I just saw my buddy get cast into hell over there. I, don't, I think I'll just sit right here for a little bit and wait. That's how Satan gets and deceives. Because not everybody's believing the little flock and the message. Okay? That's why there's people still there. What happens to Satan? He's loosed. Fire comes down, devours him. Satan is taken and cast into the lake of fire. Verse 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. <laughs> I think they would after they just saw what happened. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead, which uh, were judged out of these things, which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead, which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead, which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. Well, what's happening? Death and hell here are pulled in front of the great white throne, right? The people that are alive here that aren't believing, they're just hiding it through, they're pulled in front. You with me? Death and hell. What have we been talking about? We've been talking about eternal judgment. They're delivered up, and then where are they cast? Into the lake of fire. Verse 14, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. We'll talk about that next time because of time. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, here, you're in 2 Thessalonians 1 where he's not in the presence anymore of the Lord. There's no need for there to be a shaft down in here anymore. Because who's left on earth? Believers. Who's in the heavens? Believers. Where's the lost? There. Lake of fire. Can you get the progression? That's why dispensational Bible study in this matter is so critical. So important. They're removed from the presence of the Lamb and of the angels when they're cast into the lake of fire. Now, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched, and then the issue of the second death, we'll spend some time next time talking about that because that's critically important because that plays into you and I today because it plays into what Christ accomplished at Calvary in those three hours of darkness. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning. We thank you for your word. 
We thank you for the ability to study it, to look into it, to put it on the board, to kind of try and figure it out a little bit, and then to work through it and to know that that is your plan for the ages to come. And in seeing that, rejoice in your grace and in your mercy and in your long-suffering. And to rejoice in what you accomplished at Calvary for all of man. And that's the answer for all of this. And that is the answer for your wrath and for your justice. In your name we pray. Amen.